Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. Today we're going to talk about the upcoming legislative session. Joining me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have two guests today. Peggy Welch is a Democratic state representative from Bloomington, and Eric Cook is a Republican state representative from Bedford. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Eric, Peggy, welcome. Thank you very welcome much. Welcome back to good the afternoon. program. Mary Thank Catherine. you. Hey, Bob. Hi, good to see you. Uh, we invited a couple of other folks today. We know Vice Simpson, we thought she was going to be able to make mm-hmm. it, but she was a, a late cancellation for some personal issues. and. The uh, let's see. The other invitation went to Brent Steele, and he couldn't make it either. So, and yeah. I think to Matt Pearson, he sends his regrets he, that he couldn't be here today. So we're happy to have both of you, though. Thank you. So things are going to be a little different in the House than they were last year. You have Democratic leadership now in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you talk about that? How will things be different? Well, or will they? Well, Eric, go ahead. Well, we've been both been through that before. This yes. will be my third mm-hmm. uh, term. My first term there was Democratic control. My second term there was Republican control, and we're back to, to Democrat control. So it's something that we've both experienced, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> a framework that we've I think both worked within um, uh, as individuals and even as members of our caucuses. Mm-hmm. You know, last session the governor had a green light and and had everything going his way, mm-hmm. and I think he's facing a very different situation now. So how do you think that's going to impact his plans? He, he has kind of a reputation of being a, a guy who just doesn't let any grass grow under his feet. He moves very quickly and kind of expects people to fall in line behind him. How do you think that's going to be different this session? The governor is a very persistent and persuasive gentleman, and he cares very deeply about the issues that he proposes. Um, but there was nobody to stop and say, now, governor, that may be a great idea, but let's talk a little more about it. Mm-hmm. Let's consider some other sides of the issue before we move forward. And that is the attitude that uh, Pat Bauer, who is our speaker now, is taking. Um, it's not that we're going to say just because it's the governor's proposal and just because there's an election coming up in 2008, we're not going to say no, 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 but it's going to be let's talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's consider, let's just slow the process down a little bit. There were people uh, within my caucus, even me, that maybe even regarding major moves, if we'd had a little more time to consider it, if we would have had some more time to, to answer some questions, there might have been a few Democrats that could have voted for it. But because it was just go, 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 and don't ask me any questions and just do it because I told you to do it, that's not going to happen in this session with Pat Bauer leading. Mm-hmm. Eric? Well, and I'll give the governor a lot of credit on getting out early some of these major proposals. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we're going to be getting into later in the show. But by by getting them out, even though some of them we don't have a lot of detail yet, by, by getting them out early and uh, giving us the time to uh, vet them, um, I think increases um, the likelihood of success or even improving uh, up on those ideas. So uh, I think, as Peggy says, we're going into this session on, on the big items that are important to the governor with more time uh, to consider them. And the, and the governor recognizes, uh, he and I had a conversation, that he was surprised that there was such an uproar over major moves. And so he is, uh, I think, you're right, Eric, by putting these major ideas out there, it's giving people time to talk about it. And Pat Bauer has been gracious to the governor in things that he has said, and the governor has been gracious also. So at least it's starting out well. The other thing the governor has done is on on these major proposals, he's also put out the proposed funding source, which um, that's that's so critical, and and often that's the the rub on some of these. So, with with everything that he has proposed, he has proposed a way to pay for it, and said to anybody who feels otherwise, well, if you have a if you want this and don't like my funding mechanism, then what's yours? And I, I think that's a, a legitimate challenge. And it's a very smart move on his part mm-hmm. to do it that way. It right. sets us up to be defensive. Well, let's talk about a couple of these major uh, major proposals that are out there already. Full-day kindergarten is one of them. So he has a, a full-day kindergarten plan. Let's talk about that one first. What- well, the governor was very gracious, um, again, when he made the um, his proposal. He acknowledged that it had been uh, Governor O'Bannon, Governor Kernan, the House and Senate Democrats that had really been pushing full-day kindergarten for the last several years. So I appreciate him acknowledging that. Um, it's something that we many people are supportive of. 
Um, we can talk about some of the reasons people aren't supportive of it, and there'll be people, especially I think within the Republican uh, caucus, who will not be supportive of full-day kindergarten because of those objections. Uh, but the majority of people I think will be supportive. It's just going to be how we're going to pay for it. Uh, we can talk more about the budget. We can talk about the revenue forecast. Uh, there's not a whole lot of money to be spending um, the extra, especially we want to make sure that we are adequately taking care of the K through 12 that we have now to give them some additional funding, especially because we feel like that they received, they were shortchanged in the, the last budget. So um, I think people are going to be supportive. It's just can we afford it? Mm-hmm. Well, Peggy's right. It is a very expensive uh, concept. Um, I have in my district full-day kindergarten going on in, in a few different schools. Um, Mitchell, for instance, as a community several years ago, made the decision to do it. And, and they've had full-day kindergarten for several years. Um, I spent a few hours there uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, meeting with the superintendent, the principal, kindergarten teachers, first-grade teachers, just to see firsthand how it's worked out there. Um, there is data on this, and the data is mixed. Um, and, and there are people with some sincere um, opposition to full-day kindergarten. So uh, I think like mm-hmm. all of us, I'll be looking at the data. Uh, we'll be looking at, at the cost and talking to superintendents. The other th- um, element of that is not every school corporation is ready to implement it in terms of bricks and mortar and transportation. Mm-hmm. According to one survey of superintendents, 53 percent said they can't do it right now without additional Dollars, which are probably going to have to come from property taxes, so which is another issue, um, you know, we'll be dealing with. Well, the governor wants to give some upfront money to be able to help get that started, and it has to be phased in. Um, we would love for everybody to be able to to do it from the get go, but uh, because of the points that Eric have raised, we've got to phase it in and be able to. We can't afford to do it. Um, for everybody right off the bat. Well, and that was my question. You know, Eric, you talked about how a lot of the governor's major proposals, and, and we'll get into a couple more of those, come with his idea for how we're going to pay for it. In the case of full-day kindergarten, has the governor offered um, ideas for how to pay for it? Well, there um, – we got the uh, latest revenue forecast on December 14th. And it, and it did show it wasn't a uh, just a booming forecast. It did show um, some steady revenue growth that will provide additional money. And I believe it is that additional growth that he would be looking for, uh, at least initially, to fund full-day kindergarten. The governor had a press conference yesterday, and he kind of sort of outlined um, or outlining uh, what he would want to do with the budget. And uh, he, on the, under the area of new dollars, that's where full-day kindergarten comes. So the proposals, he has ideas of how to pay for it. So uh, it would have to come from these new dollars that we hope that we'll be able to be getting from an improved economy. Let's back up just a little bit. I, I think we sh- will want to talk more about <coughs> the governor's initiatives, but I, I think that we probably need to do a little um, session 101 as far as this is a long session. And so you are mandated to accomplish certain things during this long session. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what those are before you can do any, I mean, as you do other things, but these are the things that must be accomplished. Well, there's really only one thing, and that's pass a budget. <laughs> right. Um, so beyond that, um, there will be many bills filed. Uh, Peggy and I are both working on our own bills and working on a couple together, mm-hmm. uh, as all legislators are. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing we're required to do um, over the uh, this biennium, and it is a two-year budget. Um, we will start on January the 8th. We'll be going through April the 29th. Um, so I'm telling everybody, no matter what we talk about today, right, Eric, it's, let's talk again on April the 30th, and we'll know exactly <laughs> what happens because we can make all kind of predictions mm-hmm. and talk about things we want to do. And even when bills, and this is still one-on-one, but when bills pass the House, they could pass the Senate, they could come together. We all seem to um, approve it, but then uh, it could go to conference committee and completely fall apart. Mm -hmm. So you really don't know what's going to happen this session until we uh, adjourn sine die. So it'll be fun to come back and talk about what we accomplished and hopefully it'll be a lot of good things. But the only thing is the budget, and that's going to be taking a lot of our time. I have the privilege of serving on the House Ways and Means Committee, and the budget starts in that committee. We will uh, start on January 8th with um, testimony from all department heads, from the universities, et cetera. So it's going to be very busy to serve on the Ways and Means Committee, as I have been. We'll be first hearing from the lieutenant governor and uh, the Department of Commerce. And so that'll be an interesting presentation that we'll be getting on the 8th. So we'll be meeting every day over the next few months 
hearing uh, for the next few weeks after we start from these leaders of agencies and from the governor with his budget. All right. We're talking with Peggy Welch and Eric Cook today. They're both uh, state representatives from our area. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Let's talk about about some of the bills that you're working on Mm -hmm. individually. Oh. Um, and, and <laughs> well, we were, as before we were started, you know, I, uh, Eric and I both pulled out our list that we have gotten from Legislative Services, and I don't know about you, Eric, but they're beating up on me to, you know, yeah. come on, let's get these bills going <laughs> because they want to enjoy the holidays. Also, um, we have a, a bill restriction um, bef- before, uh, I guess it was in 2005, the Republicans, when they came in control of the House, they changed the rules to restrict the number of bills that could be introduced in the long session to 15. We have kept that. Per- Per representative. Per, per representative. I'm sorry. Thank you. And so um, we – and, you know, Vice Simpson and I are – we have lots of good ideas that people give us from all over the the area. So one year I introduced 42 bills, which was kind of silly, but I had 15 of those 42 bills move over to the Senate because I work really hard at it. So um, we now only have 15 bills, and it's going through and trying to figure out what's best. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the privilege of also serving again on the health committee. I'm going to be the vice chair of the uh, Public Health Committee, serving with Charlie Brown from Lake County as the chairman. So I've been approached by a lot of of folks about um, health legislation, especially for the uh, ancillary services to that complement the docs and the nurses. So I've got several bills with that. Um, I tell you, though, a couple of things I'm going to really be pushing hard that I have pushed for in the past. We really need total tax restructuring in the state. One of the other issues that you'll be hearing a lot about is property tax relief uh, because of the huge increase that's going to be coming because of several changes, and we can outline those more later if you want to. But we've got to provide some type of relief. It's the right thing to do, um, and uh, we'll get blamed if we, as Democrats, if we don't provide some relief the same way the Republicans provided relief in 2005. So um, tax restructuring is something I'm going to be pushing. Let's quit putting a Band-Aid on property tax relief, and let's make a total change. Um, I'm also working on um, legislation that would change the definition of wrongful death of an unborn child. This is not a pro-life issue necessarily. It's uh, an issue dealing with, in a civil case, if a child is considered a, if it's viable, um, is it uh, considered a human um, and would be able to uh, receive compensation, or the family would be able to receive compensation. This has been a ruling in the Supreme Court, and so I'm, I'm working on that. I have my bill on licensure of midwives and licensure of physical uh, of physicians' assistants. I'm kind of looking at all my things here. I'm going, oh my goodness, how am I going to do all this? Um, so uh, I'm kind of culling through these. Um, there are issues that I care about, issues that, that people within the district care about. There are issues um, that I'm working on trying to make sure that my Republican colleagues um, will get a hearing on because there are issues that are important. And just because it's a Democrat-controlled House, Republicans have good ideas also, such as Eric Cook here. And Eric is uh, respected. Uh, he's well-liked. And I'm hopeful that he's going to have lots of his bills heard because they are good ideas. What are you working on together before we get to Go Eric's? Oh, well, we got a couple. Um, one of them we had been working on independently and, and through a colleague found out that each other was working on the same issue. Uh, and that deals with the umbilical cord blood and the potential in medicine uh, for umbilical cord blood. So we'll – in fact, we just got in the mail our latest draft uh, today. And so that's something that's very exciting. This isn't the controversial stem cells that Is we hear so banking? much about. Yes, yes exactly. yeah, banking. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 So we're real excited about that. And as always, on matters relating to Crane mm-hmm. um, and other issues, we we often work work together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to get back to Eric. Don't let me forget other bills that you might have on your list, but we have four callers waiting. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So uh, it must be our gift to our callers. We have to <laughs> Let's go to the first caller, and uh, I believe this is John. Uh, hey, good good afternoon, guys. Uh-huh. Hi. Hey, go ahead. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask your guests a question about the full-day kindergarten issue, but d- separate from the politics and the financing, have, have any um, pediatricians or child psychologists weighed in on What's the attention span of a kindergartner? And if you have full-day kindergarten, are you actually going to have a full day of enjoyable learning or like a half day 
and then the rest of the day babysitting grumpy kids. <laughs> okay, good question. John, you ask a very important question, and, and earlier when I said the data <coughs> was mixed, um, there is data out there um, concerning the uh, uh, the potential of a younger child to, to be in that environment all day. And, and there are studies that say they can. There are studies that say it's problematic. There are studies that say the academic benefit is uh, tremendous. There's studies that say the academic uh, benefit tapers off by about third grade. And uh, so I think all of us are going to be looking at that data and uh, talking to people in the field teachers who are right now teaching full-day kindergarten. I've talked to full uh, to kindergarten teachers who are for it, and I've talked to kindergarten teachers who are against it, mm-hmm. people I know, people who I'm cl- close to. So there, in addition to the financial uh, element of this, there is a pedagogical mm-hmm. element to this as well. And something I want to make clear is that um, when full-day kindergarten is instituted, if it is, it will be mandatory for schools. It would still be the choice of the parent if a child is even to attend kindergarten and if they want half-day or full-day. I think that's huge. That's right. Because so it'll be every up to the child parent. is different. I mean, you can have a six, six year, or a five-year-old, really, mm-hmm. a five-year-old who's completely ready for that or a five-year-old who's, who's not at all ready for that. And I think that the parents need to have that option uh, and to make those choices because nobody knows better than the child's parents. That's exactly. And obviously, it's not going to be six uh, or seven hours of actual studying, but it will be structured play. And it will be in an environment where it's just not a child sitting in front of a TV Mm -hmm. um, watching something silly. So um, that's part of the benefit, too. That, that there is enrichment, ca- and, enrichment yeah. and there's care of those children also. Uh-huh. Um, and so there is a point that that's one of the major objections. Is it just going to be babysitting? Mm-hmm. But it's at least structured and stimulating uh, care and enrichment. I like that word. Thank you. Mary you Catherine. can use that if you want. Thank you. I will use that. <laughs> Thank you. That's your, Mary All Catherine right. says right. enrichment. All right, John. Thanks a lot for the call. We're going Thank next you, John. to David. David? Hi. Hi. Um, happy holidays to everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have a general question. Uh, what are the chances of Indiana's return to democracy by passing a referendum so that the voice of the people could be heard? I mean, you know, with major moves, it was obvious the majority of people were not for this. And, you know, a referendum might have been able to <coughs> change the course of a thing like that. And I'll just hang up and listen to your comments. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Go ahead. Well, Eric. constitutionally, um, Indiana only has referendums on, on certain matters such as a constitutional amendment. And there is a one, SJR 7, on marriage uh, moving through the process that would ultimately end up on the ballot. We are unlike other states such as uh, California, for instance, where there's a procedure to bring just about anything to the ballot. And I understand that sometimes the ballots are just absolutely huge mm-hmm. with, with all of these proposals. And a lot of people don't take the time or want to take the time to to understand them. So um, in in terms of democracy, we're a uh, constitutional republic and we're governed by elected representatives. And that's the nature of, of, of our system. As I say, there are certain things that do go to the ballot, but most everything else... Uh, is uh, put in the hands of the elected representatives. That's right. We are a representative government. Um, And, David, I appreciate where you're coming from. Um, And we saw at least one or two seats that probably switched from the incumbent Mm -hmm. to a new person being elected because the the public was not happy with some of the votes that were placed by that person. And that's how um, it has been decided in Indiana that it will work, that if you don't like the person who is representing you and they're not casting the votes the way you like them, then you can vote against them and and have good chance of defeating them. Um, we did. We, there's usually during each session, though, some bill about bringing something to the public regarding referendum. When we were considering the time change, um, we as Democrats did have proposals that would have allowed the people to have a vote on this. And I anticipate that during the 2007 session, there will be several bills introduced that will go back to the time issue um, and um, would be asking for a referendum. Whether those will move forward, I can't say. Um, but there's always something that's asking for a referendum, and usually those are defeated. Mm-hmm. Now, Eric, it sounds like there's a same-sex marriage bill that's going through that would be a referendum? Well, is there there is a constitutional amendment moving through the process, uh, Senate Joint Resolution 7, uh, under our constitution to, to amend it. 
uh, it must pass two consecutive general assemblies and then go to the citizens of Indiana uh, on a ballot. So with respect to that resolution, it's been passed by one general assembly. Um, it will be offered again this general assembly and if it passes, it will go uh, to the general public okay. to amend the Indiana Constitution. All right. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Let's see our phone numbers, 855-0811-877-285-9348. And the email address is noon at indiana.edu. And we still have a couple of callers and an email, so let's go back to the phone. Dawn, go ahead. Yes, I guess I'm following up on the the last question, and particularly something that irritated me uh, in the beginning of the session two years ago was the issue that was raised by the conservative Republicans that seemed to ignore the Constitution uh, with the wanting to require uh, the teaching of creationism under the guise of uh, intelligent design as being required for K-12 through education. I mean, I think it's absolutely preposterous uh, as a scientist and a geologist and a paleontologist, but it also ignores the fact that without uh, teaching the whole catastrophe of biology and the life sciences, how can we become a biotechnically uh, uh, successful uh, in implementing changes in our economy uh, that seems to be an emphasis in, of the state leadership? But I think that that's something I particularly uh, don't want to see happen again, is to have another go around with this creationist nonsense. Okay, I think uh, both. Well, just, no. Um, I have not heard of any bill being introduced this session. Again, um, we have until the Friday after we go into session on the 8th. Uh, I think not the right date that we have to have all bills filed, and then we'll know exactly what's out there, and then we'll have to deal with it. And, Don, thank you for your observation. Eric, any reaction? Uh, like I'm not aware of that bill. I think a year or two ago, a senator might have uh, mentioned that. I don't know if that bill was ever filed. Okay, definitely wasn't considered that I know of. No. Okay, let's go. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Let's go back to the phones, and I believe our fourth caller uh, in this segment is Greg. Greg. Yes. Um, hi. Um, I basically have sort of a question and a challenge, and I guess I'm just sort of directing it towards Peggy Welch. Um, as a Democrat, and I would recognize myself as quite a liberal Democrat in the state of Indiana, um, you know, I've always seen that, that uh, Peggy Welch, I'm from Bloomington, Indiana, is, represents me. And in fact, she's the only candidate uh, for her seat in this area. And so one of the things is that uh, I challenge her, and I also have this as a question, when issues come up, um, does she feel, Peggy, do you feel that you represent the liberal side of Democrats in Indiana who have views on things like um, abortion and access to abortion? Uh, you just mentioned a bill that, that talks about uh, you know, the fetus and the viability of the fetus and what protections around that. But I also want to ask you, what are your ideas about the protections of women who uh, may want to seek an abortion in Indiana, as well as gay rights in Indiana? I mean, I think you know, liberal Democrats in Indiana believe strongly in human rights for all of us. And just because a majority of people may believe in something, as they did at the time of slavery, it doesn't make it right. We need strong Democrats to stand up for the rights of gay and lesbian couples who are citizens, who pay their taxes, who are good people. And often, Peggy, I don't see you standing up for those rights in in your position. And that's disappointing for me, because I really want to believe that a Democrat will stand up for these things. All right, we're going to um, Greg. So that's, that's my okay. question and comment. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Um, Greg, I do believe that I represent the district in which I serve. Um, the district I serve is a 60 percent Republican district. It is a conservative district. It is the southern part of the Perry uh, Township District and all around the, the edges of Monroe County, one little area of Brown County and one little area of Green County. And so it is a, a conservative district. When um, um, Mark was the representative and now Matt, uh, we tease that I could never get elected in his area and they could never get elected in mine. Um, and we're both Democrats and we're both very proud to be Democrats. As there are in the Republican Party, um, people who are considered pro-choice and um, pro-gay, there are in the Democratic Party, the other sides. Not one party owns those values or has the same issues. And that's the nice thing about the Democratic Party. It is a, as we keep saying, it's a a party of a big tent and it uh, has lots of people in it because we try to represent the issues as many people as possible. And I'm very proud to be a Democrat but also proud to represent the district of 60 and its citizens. 
and they will let me know if I'm not adequately and properly representing them in the votes that I cast. All right. We've hit, Thank uh, you, Greg. hit time for a, a break. I'm going to ask uh, Henry to hold on here, and we'll get him right after the break. We also have an email we're going to get to. Uh, but we're talking with Peggy Welch and Eric Cook today, both state representatives uh, from our area. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for Reading, Writing, and Rhythm. It's a progressive evening of food, fun, and funk to support literacy programs for all Monroe County Community School Corporation students. Dancing with the Dynamics, a silent auction, breakfast after midnight. It takes place at Alumni Hall in the Indiana Memorial Union, Sunday, December 31st, 8.30 p.m. to 1 a.m. More about this and many other items available at wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our guest today, Peggy Welch, a Democratic state representative from Bloomington, and Eric Cook, a Republican state representative from Bedford. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And as promised, we're going to Henry. Henry? I have a concern about our governor trying to privatize everything for a long period of time. It seems mm-hmm. to me if the toll road is making money that for the state that uh, we should keep that money and that if a private concern can pay us a large amount of money up front in order to make money themselves. In the long run, they're simply going to have to cut services, unless it implies that the state didn't know how to run it in the first place, which I don't think is a valid question. All right. Thanks, Henry. Eric? Well, Henry, thanks for the question. And um, the governor has brought forth a lot of innovative ideas, but you know, this the one you mentioned, um, that's nothing new. Um, Ed Rendell, the Democrat governor of Pennsylvania, proposed um, lease arrangements for at least one of their toll roads. One of the first to do it was uh, Mayor Daley in Chicago, a Democrat who, who did that successfully. And I understand the current governor of Illinois is, is looking at more uh, uh, public-private partnerships on the toll roads and um, with respect to the Illinois lottery. So this is not a Mitch Daniels idea or a Republican idea. Uh, These are initiatives that governors around the country are exploring because of um, the fiscal options available to them. Why do you think that that the state in the long run makes more money? I can't quite figure that out. If the toll road is making money now, why uh, why are we selling it off? Well, it's to get uh, the governor's rationale, and correct me, Eric, if I'm not but was to get money up front to be able to put toward more road projects. That's exactly the point. It's getting money up front, and in the long run, the taxpayer will pay off. And that is my concern about the whole privatization. I don't have a problem with privatization if you can prove to me that there is a long-term benefit. We know that there's going to be short-term benefits to whatever the privatization would be. But um, the, the business of a, of a company is to make money. And I want them to make money, and I want them to have a profit. That's the American way. But uh, if they quit losing money on a privatized deal for the government, they they can just walk away after they complete their contract. Who's left holding the bag but we as citizens? Um, And getting back up to speed to take care, such as with this family and children's services. Uh, I'm very disturbed by that. Um, We will be giving some concentration to that particular privatization in the Ways and Means Committee when we start in the next few weeks. Um, And... I just am concerned also that as the governor was pushing forward his privatization plan for welfare, is really what it is, um, 
my concern is that he felt like he had to run down the workers and the departments across the state. Um, and I've been uh, – I'm scared to say that I have heard from a few of these workers because they've been told not to talk to legislators. Um, but I've heard from several across the country – I mean across the state, not just here within Monroe County. And yes, they need to be upgraded, but – um, do we have to privatize it? Can they not keep working and do a good job if they get some modern computers and they get more people in the offices and helping them? So that's a concern. And, and um, you know, it, the, I, I think it was in the HT. Somebody had said, you know, if, it's move, if it moves, privatize it. Mm-hmm. And it all boils down to the idea that um, let's run government like a business. Um, and there are things that we need to do within business to be more efficient. We need to be accountable. We need to make sure that we do a good job with the tax dollars. But government is different than a business, and people have different expectations of their government. Therefore, we have to operate differently. And I, I'm concerned about the privatization that's being pushed. With, with right, We're sitting right here at IU, the privatization that's going on here. And that push is coming from the people that the governor has appointed to be uh, as trustees. So I can assure you that we as Democrats are going to be standing up and asking some pretty tough questions over these next few months of the governor um, and his staff. You know, I do. I have a big problem with privatization because I think it really calls into question the role of government. And I think that I expect my government to um, make sure that uh, people have in the state enough food, that they have housing. I want them to provide law enforcement. And yes, I want them to provide the, um, the road infrastructure. I think that these are things that I gladly pay my tax dollars for. And I, I, I feel like with all this privatization that it's saying, you know, we have mucked this up to such an extent that we're just going to turn it over to somebody else who can handle this instead of, you know, doing whatever the hard work is that has to be done in order to do it and keep it within government. Because I think that um, motives come into question when things become privatized because it's a profit motive. And that is the role of government is to serve the people without the profit motive. And so I I have a real problem with this. And I hope that you hear from other people throughout the session who really take a a serious look at what the role of government is. I would love it if, if the government would stay out of social issues and really take care of these more basic needs because that's what I would like my tax dollars to go to. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm happy to pay them. In fact, tax me more if you need to. Get the job done. But oh. I don't think Mary Catherine, most people will agree with you on that one. But uh, No, but Eric's writing it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I disagree. I disagree. I think that people, many people, if not most people, would be willing to pay more taxes if they thought that it really could make a positive difference and, and if, if, if the money would be wisely spent and, and social, well, I say social problems, I mean more in terms of sure. social welfare issues and these other kinds of things that housing and, and law enforcement and roads, and that those all goes, issues were well covered. And that all goes toward transparency, which is something that we need to move forward in our budgeting process as far as our taxing process, that people understand where their tax dollars are going and how they're being used. I'll get uh, off well, my soapbox um, and let the right, legislators Henry, yeah. talk. <laughs> Henry, you want to re- any reaction, Henry? I just wanted to say that when I look at our health care system and I see the profit motive and all the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies and see how Medicare runs at much less overhead. It just seems to me that every time you privatize something, the customer pays more and gets less. All right, Henry. Thank thanks you, thanks Henry. a lot for the call. 855 and noon at indiana.edu. Before, hold on to that email. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I wanna, Henry. Well, I just have another privatization thing I want to follow right. up on because— You mean I, said, I left something unsaid? Yeah, well, you that? did. Okay, because all right. Go ahead. I, just, I want to know about the prospects for the, uh, the idea of privatizing the lottery because that's, that is a big issue that the governor has— tossed out there and it would have a, a you know serious uh, serious it would have major implications for IU and Bloomington in a positive way it seems to me because the money would be spent on higher education so what are the prospects of that and, and how did how do the two of you sort of view that idea well there again the the objectives are, are wonderful um, scholarships making higher education more affordable uh, the Indiana University life sciences initiative and all that that um, can and will do for not just our region but for the state uh, all of that's very exciting um, again the the lottery proposal he just didn't wake up one morning and dream that up that is that is being considered by governors around the state um, around the country uh, excuse me around the country right. um, I'm 
being very cautious about it. Um, the lottery is different than um, the toll road in the sense that the toll road was losing money. Uh, the lottery is being operated uh, profitably, um, and the lottery money goes to pensions, uh, goes to the excise tax credit, uh, things that are very real and very important uh, to Hoosiers, and not that those couldn't continue on under a, a public-private partnership. So. Um, I'll be, like anything else, um, studying it and, and taking a look at it. But there again, I will give the governor credit for uh, proposing spending and, and having a funding mechanism mm -hmm. for that spending. And so I think we need to, to give him that credit um, for, for doing that. And we've not always had that in, in initiatives that, that came forward. No, and and I, I, again, I give the governor credit too that he, he's bold and he sticks it out there and he doesn't care because he, he really feels something is the right thing. Um, but I think he's going to have a hard time moving this forward. And again, we'll get data, we'll get more information, we'll get details. Um, I was involved in a panel last week uh, that I sat on with Vice Simpson and uh, Robert Meeks, who is the chairman of the Finance Committee for the Senate, and then Jeff Espick, who is the ranking minority member for the uh, House Ways and Means Committee. And this question was asked because it had just kind of all come up then last week. Um, and you've got people like Luke Kinley who is the chairman of the Taxation Committee in the, on the Senate side, who has hesitation. Jeff Espick has some hesitation. I can tell you that there um, will be plenty of my Republican colleagues who are uh, very conservative who will have hesitation about this because everybody seems – or many folks are agreeing that to make this profitable for that company, it's going to have to expand. Mm -hmm. And any expansion of gaming is not acceptable to myself and to many of my colleagues. Um, and – um, but in that conversation with those legislators, um, the question uh, was brought up about just gaming generally. And you're going to have, I think, a big conversation about should we be legalizing Cherry Masters? Oh, yeah. Um, should happen. we be doing Racinos, which is putting the that in the gambling into more gambling into our racetracks? Um, and. Um, I can tell you that I will not be supporting that, but there will be plenty of people who will be mm -hmm. who say it's happening anyway. Let's just go ahead and legalize it and therefore make some money off of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's already happening, so why not? And then also they say we'll put more controls. It will protect people, you know, from especially kids being having access to it. There's all kinds of rational arguments for it, and there are people who are going to be also against it because of other reasons. So it, it's not just the governor's privatization of – the lottery, it's going to be a whole gaming issue. I mean, do you agree with that? I do. Eric? I so, because oh, it's, it's, it's got a lot of money that could bring into the state. Okay. I've got an, an email that came in. It's a question about IU, and then I have a follow up question as well. Um, the email reads Is something going to be done to make Indiana University more accountable to the people in Indiana as opposed to the elites or to explain relevance of Indiana University to the average Indiana resident? That one more time. I will. <laughs> is something going to be done to make Indiana University more accountable to the people in Indiana as opposed to the, the elites, quote unquote, or to explain the relevance of Indiana University to the, Indi to the average Indiana re resident? I'll take a shot at that maybe yeah. first. Um, I have seen just in my four sessions um, the universities, the major public universities, realizing that they have a mission to the state beyond issuing degrees, which is certainly its core mission. And I have seen them become very engaged through offices of literally community engagement, um, doing everything from coming in and helping in a targeted way um, uh, organizations and counties locally um, and also being a real partner in economic development mm -hmm. around the state. Absolutely. And so um, – and I see that trend even growing even more and I, I've seen the universities realizing that they have that responsibility and stepping up to the plate. And, um, and so I think that's something that touches all Hoosiers, not just somebody who has a child going through uh, and getting a diploma, which is, again, certainly the core mission of the university. But I do see them engaged on many different levels. Absolutely. And, and something that has to be pointed out, and I'm sorry I should know. That's why I needs to be here. But really only a small portion of a university's budget comes from tax dollars. Uh, people think, you know, well – you know, Peggy, you can go in there and you can tell that university what they can do or you just won't give them their money. And, yeah, the, the money that we do give the universities is very important to help them to be able to provide the services they need to. But the, that's not the majority of their budget. 
So I only have a small amount of say-so in really what happens on – goes on in the university and that they make choices and they're answerable to their major donors. They're answerable to the students that are – and the parents that are paying the tuition. Um, so they're answerable to a lot of groups, not just to state legislators. Mm-hmm. And whether it's right or wrong, the, the fact is that the share of the uh, IU budget that comes from the state is getting smaller and smaller. The, percent, the percentage of money that comes from state versus – And we've got a really um, – and that's one of the things that's going to be important to me on the Ways and Means Committee this year is looking at funding for higher education. We've got to make up a difference for the repair and rehab portion of the university budget. I mean, you go over to Ballantyne and some of those buildings, oh, it's, they're falling it's apart. It's embarrassing. You know, the, and they, the Atwater it, Corridor is just a mess. Yeah, and they, I mean, they can't afford to, you know, have the guys coming in and emptying the garbage every night, every other night, or whatever it would be. And that's that's not right. And uh, so we, we are um, responsible for providing funding for our universities. And I hope that we will be able to increase that in a small way. But and, and if this person has who sent the email, if they would like to send either uh, Eric or both of us an, uh, an email to let us know if there are specific concerns that they're trying to address that they feel like the universities have not been responsive, uh, Eric and I both we follow up and we we will try to answer that. So please email us and we'll try to find some answers if there's something specific they're concerned about. Now um, we've discussed this earlier on the show and with with other guests, but I understand that uh, Indiana University is going to make a, a very large and almost unprecedented request of the legislature this year. Can you discuss that a little bit? Sure. It's uh, for um, life sciences, and that is just so critical. Um, and that is Indiana could become. Um, one of the premier states. Um, we have so many things here already, and we're so grateful to have um, all the cook industries. And we've got Baxter, and then um, we've got um, Boston Scientific just right in this area, and then the other parts of the state where they specialize in more orthopedic work. Um, we've got the um, Internet 2 uh, stationed right here in uh, Indiana. We've got Big Red <laughs> here at IU, mm-hmm. the supercomputer. You, and all those things are important for the development of life sciences and to attract more people here. We've got anchor companies, so it, just here in Bloomington, let's talk about Bloomington, with, with Cook, with Baxter, Boston Scientific, where you have wonderful companies that I just visited last week, Bioconvergence. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, how exciting that place is. And what they're doing as a young staff and with young um, workers coming in and making a difference with good-paying jobs. Those ideas are come from our universities. Um, they spawn. I just met a young man the other night who uh, just finished up his Ph.D. at Purdue, and he's now working for a business that was um, started by his professor. That's what we want. But you've got to invest some money to make money. So you'll, you've got to spend money to make money. That's what we've got to do in this state. And what we spend um, is just a, a tiny bit of what we'll be able to make if we make that investment. It's hard for us as legislators, though, to be able to take a big bite and swallow it and recognizing that there's not going to be a, an immediate two-year return on us and that Eric and, and I'll be thanked and everybody, oh, aren't you wonderful and look at all the great things you've done. Um, I want my grandchildren and are those legislators 30 years from now to say, boy, didn't Eric and Peggy do a great job and I'm so glad they invested that money then because it's made a difference for us now. Yeah. And I'll compare that even to some decisions made um, 30, 40 years ago with respect to Indianapolis, that there were mayors that, that made some decisions that they knew the fruits wouldn't be mm-hmm. harvested during their term in office, mm-hmm. and but they did it. And now we go down to downtown Indianapolis and it's a wonderful experience unlike other cities around the country. And, yeah. and again, for office holders, <clears throat> for that reason, it's, it's something that's way beyond the election cycle. And you got to have a lot of foresight and think in terms of the next generation. Yeah. Now, how how good do you think this governor is at at painting the the picture like that so people can see it? Um, I think that, um, and you may this is arguable, of course, but I'm not sure that Hoosiers are necessarily known for their love of risk taking, and um, we tend to be kind of conservative as a people, in my opinion. Uh, so, how good is this governor at telling the story to paint the picture so people get it? I think the governor is very good at painting a picture. He's very good at wor- using word pictures. And I bet he will come up with some way of helping people to understand and visualize how important that is. But it's not just the governor. The governor proposes it is we as legislators that dispose. We'll be the ones that will be making decisions about how to fund this. Um, and then it will be up to the universities to carry it out. So uh, it's important for us. 
Well, it's important for the universities to keep telling the story and help us to understand what's important and then help us to be able to tell the story across the state. What's, your, what's Pat Bauer's take on this situation? I haven't talked to him specifically. Um, obviously, being um, up in the Notre Dame area, mm-hmm. um, he is aware of the importance of higher ed, and he is supportive, and he works for um, Ivy Tech, and we recognize the importance of Ivy Tech. We've got to have our – and we've got to make sure our Ivy Techs are fully funded in the Vincennes University because it's those people that we train them, teach them, um, and send them out into the workforce, and they're going to stay in the area. And that's one of the reasons that we know that specifically in this area, companies are finding it more difficult to move in because there's just not the workforce here that are trained and ready to go. And that's what Ivy Tech is going to do for us, but it's going to be Indiana University. It's going to be Purdue University. They're going to be able to have the research and the creativity to bring forth the jobs that will then be they will then employ the graduates of Ivy Tech. It's going to be a transitional time because you just mentioned three universities that are looking for new presidents, IU, yeah. Purdue, oh. and Ivy Tech. <laughs> That's exactly That's right. right. So, <laughs> And, and um, I hope that the trustees will all take that into account mm-hmm. with somebody that has vision uh, and the ability to communicate uh, the story mm-hmm. of why it's important. Now, I'm a little slow on the uptake, but I, I think I made the connection that uh, the large request from IU and then the announcement of the potential privatization of the lottery to pay for that, am I, am I with it so far? Mm-hmm. So I assume we can expect our uh, IU trustees and um, IU representatives then to champion this, the, the uh, privatization of the lottery. Have you had these discussions? I've not had those discussions. No one's contacted me about that. Every university president was uh, was at the press conference, and they would have been foolish not to have been there. I don't, uh, but and I haven't heard from their mouth though saying, "Oh yes, 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 we think this is wonderful." They had to be there, Um, and we'll start hearing from them and talking more. But as Eric and I've already talked about, we need more details before we make any commitment to that. Okay. We have just about five more minutes to go, and I want to give Eric a chance uh, before we get oh, to that yes. email to, okay. to go oh, back yeah, to some, right. of the, some of the bills oh. that, and some of the ideas that you have for the session. Well, this session, Bob, I'll be ranking member of the courts committee, be serving on judiciary committee, the technology committee once again, and the house ethics uh, committee. Um, my policy work in the last couple of years has focused on Crane, worked very closely with Peggy, um, protecting Crane from closure during BRAC. Thank uh, you for that, by the way. Yes, oh, you're, well, you're that was a lot of work, and you guys did a great job. Thank you. It was a team effort, and um, it was uh, really a very gratifying. Uh, telecom reform, alternative fuels in the last couple of years. Uh, this session, I'll have an initiative to uh, drive more broadband out into rural areas, a broadband mm-hmm. initiative. Uh, telecommunications privacy. I've got a bill that would uh, try to get a handle on what's called caller ID spoofing and on telecommunications pretexting. Spoofing mm-hmm. is when somebody puts a false name into a caller and ID machine to trick the uh, consumer about who that is. And mm-hmm. pretexting is a technique used to get unauthorized authorization. In the, in the real word, lying? That, yeah, <laughs> I think so. So I've got a bill that would create civil uh, penalties or civil remedies and criminal penalties for that. That's a big fat liar bill. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, I'll be working on some things a um, little bit out of my normal uh, policy areas on consumer-driven health care. Um, we haven't talked much about health care this show, mm-hmm. and that would merit probably its own show. Oh, but, but I think there are some things that we can do uh, to empower consumers more in the area of health care by way of information and choice. And uh, so I'll be, be uh, floating a couple ideas along those lines. So I, too, will probably have my maximum 15 bills, mm-hmm. uh, Peggy. And um, uh, But that's just a sample of a few of them. Okay. We have, like good ideas. Put me on some of them. Okay. We, we'll we have talk. about four minutes to go, so we'll get to this email. And then if there are last okay. uh, thoughts or anything we've missed, we'll hopefully we'll have a minute or so for the, for the two okay. of you. All right. Here's the email. Uh, it begins, I would like to ask about the repeated attempts to restrict access to vital records at the county level. This is always promoted as combating identity theft. However, the federal government says that vital records are not used in identity theft. Will this legislation be introduced again this session with the resulting intense lobbying by the press and genealogists? Um, I am the one that carried that legislation, um, and I um, don't have that on my list. Um, but it is important, I tell you, and I do believe that it is important regarding um, identity theft. Um, and uh, we've got the press right here. Um, um, and But it was totally misunderstood by genealogists, and it was misunderstood by folks. You have to understand that Utah 
has stricter control on their vital records than Indiana does. Utah is the, you know, uh, genealogy mecca. mecca. <laughs> I mean, everybody wants to go there to get their records. So uh, that is not something I'm pursuing. I don't know if anybody else is. I think it's still important because people can. Uh, you wouldn't believe what all is available and who all can get your birth and death uh, certificate information without ever having to give a reason why they want it. And I think if the general public understood how accessible it is to anybody, uh, I think they would be upset. So, But that's not on my agenda. Um, but it, it, somebody else could have it out there, and I will be supportive of it. All right. Eric, any reaction to that email? Um, no. Okay. All right. Well, we have just two or three more minutes to go. There are a lot of things that we we haven't gotten to, um, but I'm, I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to, to either revisit something that you think is real important for this session or predict what's going to happen. I, I, um, and thank, I want to thank Eric for bringing up the, the health care because that is a major. And I, I don't know if y'all have already had, you know, Dr. Stone and others on talking about this, but that's going to be a major issue. Uh, it's anticipated that we're going to be having some hearings, uh, maybe a joint between the health committee and the insurance house committees to um, hear testimony just on the issue and then develop legislation from that point uh, as to what would be best. We have the governor's proposal too much to talk about right now. We have on the other side proposal that would just go strictly to a one-payer system. I don't think it's going to be either place. If we can get somewhere in the middle, we're going to have done a lot. It is the desire of the House Democrats to provide health care and access to health care as to many people as possible. How are we going to pay for it and how are we going to do it? That's still to be determined. So we're going to be working on that. And education is going to be just primary. Those are the two issues I think are going to dominate everything that we talk about, health care and education. Okay, I got a quick question. Yeah. How cohesive a group are the House Democrats going into the session? I'm going to ask you this again in April. Um, uh, we're very cohesive, um, and uh, we're de- together. We want to do the right thing, um, and but with every group, uh, it just gets down to the details. And um, we're going to talk very tough about those and decide again what's the right thing and the best thing for Hoosiers. Eric, one minute. Health and education are those the two top issues. Uh, they'll certainly be right there at the top. Uh-huh. Any other uh, issues you want to? Prisons. And I, I just want to say, because we're 5149, mm-hmm. um, we will be working very closely with our Republican colleagues. They they needed us two years ago. We need them to be able to, again, do what's right for Hoosiers. Okay. Do, do you feel like your group's cohesive going into this? Oh, it's a lot easier to be cohesive when you're in the minority. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And it's a lot more fun being in the majority. Right. Ditto. We, we, are, we are out of time. I, we, we'll be checking back with Please. Peggy and with Eric during the session, I'm sure, and with other legislators. Thank you. And our, wish our all our listeners happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays. And, right. and please contact Eric and me. We appreciate well, it. And in the Thank spirit of Tiny, Tiny Tim, God bless us, everyone. <laughs> All right. Merry Thank, Christmas. Thanks for uh, listening. Happy holidays for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Joyce Piazzotto, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.